0: tonight we'll be looking at glorification, uh, again, in the Baptist faith and message once again. And so if you don't have the hard copy of that, I don't know if we have any left, but if not, you can pull out your phone and go to our website and click on about and what we believe. And then you can uh, have the Baptist faith and message right there. Um, but glorification is where we're at tonight. So we're, this is the last kind of subsection of the chapter on um, salvation in the Baptist faith and message. And it's sort of following what's historically been called the Ordo Salutis, right? The order of salvation. Um, And this would be the last step in it. Um, And so we'll jump right into it. It says, glorification is the culmination of salvation, and so even here in the statement it's acknowledging that there is a progression there is a uh, multi multi-step process of being um, saved and uh, one way to remember this is that salvation is past uh, present and future the bible speaks of us as having been saved we are currently being saved and that we also will be saved and so we have these three kind of ways of looking at it And so if you think about it how we've taken it the last three weeks. Um, in, the, in the past, we were justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We, we were saved at that moment that we were declared righteous um, before God. And then last week, Joby we talked about sanctification. Um, and then that's the process of us being saved, us being conformed into the image of Christ morally. And then tonight, we'll look at the, the future salvation. when We have the redemption of our bodies, the glorification of our whole person. The culmination of our salvation and, and the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. So here we are. We're at the last stop on the train, uh, if you will, for tonight. So uh, when we think about the eternal state, if we think about our final step into glory, uh, when, when Jesus uh, and the whole triune God is done with his work of redemption in us, That final eternal state. What are some images that come to mind? So call out some things that come to mind, either thoughts you have or things you've heard other people say about the eternal state. What's that going to be like? No more wrestling with sin. What was that? Right. Right. Yes, glorified bodies, new bodies that don't grow old. <laughs> That's especially rich tonight, right, Mr. Harry? No more tears. Basically, the whole th- song we just sang, um, and it's, it's a great, a great hope. Um, perfect love. Seeing Jesus. What, what do you think of, um, what do you see in secular viewpoints Secular attempts to describe the eternal state according to Christianity. So, if you think of the comic strips that we all become angels, right? We get our wings. Um, What is that Christmas movie when the bell rings and angel gets his wings or something like that? Um, And floating in the clouds, playing our harps, right? And so, these are some uh, some some thoughts that our culture has that aren't necessarily Christian. And so hopefully what tonight does is reinforces our view that there is a very bodily, a very uh, human aspect of eternity, and that salvation isn't only spiritual. And so um, I'm using a lot of stuff from chapter 42 in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, the same textbook we were going through um, back when we were doing that. Um, Chapter 42 is his chapter on glorification. It's really helpful um, because as you see, the Baptist faith message only has one sentence on it. Um, And so I read the sentence like, yeah, I agree with it, but it's not really saying much. Um, it's the culmination of salvation, the final blessing, and an abiding state of the redeemed. Yeah, but what does that mean? Like, what, is, what about it, you know? Um, and so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to dig in and say, what about it? What does this, this glorification look like? We're, we're, it's not enough just to give lip service and say that it is something, but what is it? And so that's hopefully what we're going to do tonight. And that salvation isn't only spiritual. It's not just about us being saved morally or spiritually, but also bodily. Uh, Wayne Grudem says this, When Christ redeemed us, he did not just redeem our spirits or souls. He redeemed us as whole persons. And this includes the redemption of our bodies. And so he redeemed us as whole persons we're fallen in both body and soul. We experience the the effects of the fall and the effects of sin in both our body and our soul. And we will also be redeemed in both body and soul. And so the main question I want us to, to look at tonight and try to answer is what will our glorified bodies be like? So it sounds like we're all on the same page there. We will have glorified bodies and we have some ideas of what it will be like. Uh, but tonight we're going to kind of dig into the scripture and see what our glorified bodies will be, back, be like so far as we can know from God's revealed will. And so we'll be in two main texts tonight. Um, the first is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, particularly verses 35 through 49. And that will be on page um, 961, I believe, in the Pew Bible, if you have it in front of you. 961. First Corinthians fifteen thirty seven. So when I think of the resurrection, <clears throat> both the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection, I, one of the first passages I think of is first Corinthians 15. Um, There's a lot of stuff in here, but particularly verses 35 um, through 49 is what we're going to look at tonight. So I'm going to read this because it answers the question that we just asked. So here it says It says, Someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So that's our answer. That's our question we're asking tonight. With what kind of body do they come? (laughs) And Paul starts off You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust and is and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So this is god 's word. and so what I 'm going to do tonight is just use paul 's own outline. Um, of what our bodies will be like. So we'll be looking at the comparison. And he gives this kind of um, object lesson from nature. Um, God in creation has, has, has hidden object lessons for us to see and to learn about who he is by the way creation works. It reveals about who he is and how he works. And one of these is the relationship of a seed to the mature plant. And Paul is making this comparison, and he's saying our our bodies now is, is similar to a seed, is to a full-grown plant. Um, so um, we carved a pumpkin for Halloween. It was a uh, minion pumpkin from uh, Despicable Me. Uh, or I say we, Kalen carved it, and I watched. And... Uh, and, and we, it, it sat on the front porch for about two days, and it started rotting. Um, and <laughs> this, I don't know if that's normal. Do they usually rot that fast? Okay. Um, and so it started rotting, and I ended up having to take it out with a shovel, right? And, and I took it out, and I put it in our compost pile, covered it up. It's like, we're done with this pumpkin. Well, a couple of days later, I come back out to the compost pile, and, and here are these green plants coming up. pumpkin leaves. And so what you, know, what you thought was, was dead is rotten on the front porch. Now we have these green new life coming up out of the compost pile. I put it in the pile to rot and die and to turn into dust. But with well, the seed transformed into something more glorious, right? Um, and so Paul is saying it's very similar way in our earthly bodies. It's, it, it has to die in order to come to life. That's what he says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So it took burying those pumpkin seeds in the dirt and killing it for it to come to life into something more glorious and more beautiful. And so the rest of this is making that comparison. If that's true for the seed, then it is true for our bodies as well. And so let's look at a couple comparisons. He makes five comparisons here in these verses. The first is that it is imperishable. It says... What is sown, verse 42, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Jesus says in John 6, 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is saying, you come to me by faith, you believe in me, you will have eternal life, life that never ends, and I will raise you up this is resurrection language. I will raise you up on the last day. But this also means that we our resurrection bodies will be imperishable so that there'll be no more sickness, we talked before, no more aging as an evidence of sickness or age. We will have the characteristics of youthful but mature manhood or womanhood forever. So I'm not going to like say that you'll be 32 years old in heaven or you'll be 25 years old in heaven or you'll be 18 years old in heaven. Like we don't we don't know that. Um, But what we can say is that age to a certain point ceases to be maturing and and ends up to be the opposite of maturing. You know, Um, and so what we're saying is that our glorified bodies will be that perfect, mature, but youthful um, body. And I said, there's no evidence. So there's no, uh, no, no scars, no hunched over backs. There is no evidence of the, the sickness um, or decay or corruption that you experienced in earth. And some may say, well, Jesus had scars. Jesus had scars. He showed them the scars in his hands and in his side. Um, but we should not take that as an indication that our bodies will have scars as well because we believe this is a special circumstance with Jesus' scars, that his scars serve to remind us of what he has done to redeem us. And so there's a special case um, for those scars and that we shouldn't take just because Jesus had scars that we um, will continue to have signs because we see that we're renewed completely. No sickness, um, no evidences of corruption or sin. The second thing we see is that it's glorious. Our glorified bodies will be glorious. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And so the word glory is a hard word to define. Um, many times in, in the Old Testament, it has this sense of, of weightiness. Um, we also see it described as like a brightness, a radiance, an outshining. Um, and I, 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 I like the definition of glory as being the outshining of inward perfections. So the glory of God is when his character, his inward perfections, shine out or are made visible. That's the glory of God. And so in general, that is what glory is. So what is the glory of a football team? A 9-0 and record, right? Um, Brian's not in here. He was just talking about how I'd never talk about the Bulldogs winning um, as a Georgia fan. But the glory of the football team is in the skill and in their value and their inward perfections shining out. You can be a great football team, but if you never win a game, you're not very glorious because that that intrinsic value is not being shown out. So the glory of God is the outshining of his inward perfections. And so the glory of a man is the outshining of his inward perfections, lowercase p, um, in our glorified body will be a perfect man. Right now, we have different various levels of glory. And so that's why he talks about uh, the glory of a star being Varied and the glory from the moon difference from the glory, the glory of the uh, sun and the different the glory of the earthly body is different than the glory of the heavenly body there 's these different levels of glory, obviously God is the supreme glorious being, and then he is from his fullness of glory uh, communicated that glory into other areas so into the created um, Objects, so like the sun and the moon and the stars, and then, and then we've got the plants and the animals, and then we've got humans. So we all have our own unique glory that all points back to the glory of God from whom all glory comes from originally. Does that make sense? And so um, we will be glorious. And I know that some of us might kind of cringe at that because we're like, you know, God, solely Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. But God in his glory has given us a type of glory. We see that Jesus prays for that in John 17, that we would uh, have the same glory that he has shares with his father. Um, this is a special thing that's given to us. We will be beautiful and majestic. The pinnacle of God's creation right? Man is made in the image of God. It's the, the highest created being. And then this will be restored into his perfections. The image of God has been um, not erased in the fall, but defaced in the fall. And what will happen is that image will be restored perfectly in glorification. So uh, you think your wife is beautiful now. Wait till you see her in her glorified body. And here's what's Amazing about this and 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 extremely hopeful is that death, glorification when compared to death, death is an ugly and degrading process. It's one of the the toughest things to watch someone die. It's an ugly process. It it robs people of their, their dignity and value. But glorification is the opposite. It's the beautifying and dignifying process. is vindication. When God says, you are my image. What you suffered on the earth is being made new, and that's glory is not worth comparing. So glorification is the undoing of death. Number three, our resurrection bodies will be powerful. We see this in verse, uh, where's that? verse 43, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. So when compared to weakness, our bodies will be powerful. And so not only will we be free from disease and sickness, but we will have a fullness of strength and power. So what this doesn't mean is that we'll be omnipotent like God, like, but what we will have is the fullness of power that human beings were designed to have. Um, I'm looking forward to that as a skinny boy, for sure. And this is what's cool. We will have strength that is sufficient to do all that we desire to do. All that we desire to do, we will have the strength to do. Are there things that you just don't have the strength to do? Um, there's there's things, many things that I'm not strong enough to do. And I know many of you, as you age, you're like, man, I used to be able to do this, but now I can't. But in heaven, there'll be nothing stopping you from complete joy according to the will of God and in our glorified bodies, perfectly free, we will wouldn't want to desire to do anything counter to the will of God anyways. So we'll have strength to do all that we desire to do. Number four is it'll be a spiritual body. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So this may be making you... Ask the question, but I, didn't you just say it was going to be a physical body? And isn't Paul here saying that it's, it's spiritual? Um, we know spirits, that's an immaterial thing. And we talked about um, in the, the nature of man that um, the spirit is the part of a man that is immaterial, um, opposed to the body. And so if Paul is saying that we're a spiritual body, does that mean it's immaterial? Um, and no, that the answer to that is no, is because it would be contradictory to what's plainly stated other, way, other places. But also, when you look at how Paul uses the word spiritual, so when you compare every time that Paul uses the word spiritual, which is pneumatikos in the Greek, uh, every time he uses that word, or not every time, um, seldom, rarely does he use the word spiritual as meaning non-physical. The majority of the time, he means consistent with the character and activity of the Holy Spirit. So a great example of this is what we just talked about a couple weeks ago in Galatians, Galatians 6.1, uh, the general restoration, right? The, the one who has uh, backslidden, the one who is, is backed away from the faith, you who are spiritual are to restore him. So I don't think he was talking to the congregation in Galatia saying, um, you spirits in the room who don't have bodies, uh, you restore the people who are backsliding. No, no, he meant you people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who, who live and walk according to the Spirit. And all that we've been talking about in the last uh, couple weeks in Galatians of, of the fruit of the Spirit and walking with the Spirit, that's what he means by the term spiritual. And so what he's saying is that we'll have a, a body, that is completely subject to the will of the Holy Spirit and perfectly responsive to his guidance. There's times where we feel like our bodies, not even our our morality and our spirits are at war with God, but also our bodies. You know, we have addictions. We have struggles that are are, uh, physiological. We have depression. We have brain chemistry imbalances that causes uh, sinful behaviors because our bodies are fallen. Our bodies are fallen. But in the resurrection, when we receive our glorified bodies, our bodies will be completely subject to the will of the Holy Spirit. There will be no physical thing preventing you from complete joy-filled obedience to the will of God. And then the fifth and final thing, and this is really a summary of all of it, is that we'll be like Jesus. And we see this down at the bottom, verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So what's going on there? I know that last little paragraph there gets a little confusing. He's talking about the man of dust and the, the, the man from heaven and the man became a life-giving spirit and all this kind of stuff. Remember the comparison that's going on here. Seed to plant, right? We're comparing... Um, perishable to imperishable, glorious to, um, to dishonorable, um, weak to powerful, natural to physical. And now here he's comparing Adam to Jesus. So the, the man of dust here, it says Adam, um, the first man, Adam, he's the man of dust. He became a living spirit, a oh, living being, excuse me. Um, and then the last Adam is Jesus. He became a life-giving spirit. And so we all bear the image of the man of dust. We all come from Adam. We are Adam's offspring. We are his descendants. We, we flow in that line of dustly men, and we all bear his image, meaning that we have all uh, had the same sinful condition that he uh, gave to us in the fall. We all sinned in Adam, and we inherit uh, his sin. So we all look like our father, Adam. But he's saying, so will we also look like the man from heaven, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. If we are from heaven, if we are those who believe in Jesus, we will bear the image of him as well. So, not only is our goal to be like Jesus morally, but also bodily. So, in in sanctification, basically what's happening is that we're becoming more and more like Jesus morally. Morally. Um, and then we will be perfected uh, morally as well in our glorification, but also bodily. You're going to be so much like the resurrected Jesus that if you could see yourself now, you could see your glorified self now, you'd be tempted to worship yourself because you'll be so glorious. You'll be so much like Jesus that you'd be tempted to worship yourself. Much in a similar way as John was tempted to worship the angel in Revelation. And so we can't handle (laughs) in our fallen bodies seeing even the glory of ourselves or the glory of an angel. Imagine what would happen if we saw the fullness of the glory of God in our fallen bodies now. So Jonathan Edwards, um, he had this really um, beautiful and amazing way of describing what it would be like uh, to to see the glory of God. Now we, you know, we talk about coming in, in contact with the holiness of God, that it's just, it's, it would destroy you, right? Uh, that no man can see God and live. And, and this is the reason why Jonathan Edwards, uh, the reason he, he, he believed that would be true is that our bodies and our souls aren't capable of containing the joy that would happen upon seeing the beauty of God. Is that amazing? That God is such a beautiful being that if we saw him for who he is in our falling bodies, we would, in a sense, explode because we couldn't contain the joy that that would bring about. That's amazing. And so we get a taste of that in our glorified bodies, being united to Christ and, and it's amazing that we would see ourselves. We're going to be so much like Jesus that we'd be tempted to worship ourselves. And so we need this completion of salvation uh, to to help us think correctly and, and see God and worship him alone. And so if we're going to be like Jesus bodily, so that, I'm not saying this, we're going to all look like Jesus. We're not all going to look like a Middle Eastern, um, you know, guy from Jerusalem in the first century. We're not all going to look like that, but what we're going to do is we're going to have a body that we see him having after the resurrection. So when you look at um, the New Testament, and this has been really helpful in our community groups, um, when you see the nature of Jesus's body and his interaction with the disciples after his resurrection, it gives us a hint to what our bodies will be like. We know that it's um, physical, as we've been talking about, because Jesus's body could be touched. He had flesh and bones. He could eat food. You know, that's the coolest thing that's ever missed is so many times post-resurrection, like Jesus is eating with the disciples. And so um, he definitely had a body. He had a stomach-contained food. Um, And so we know that our body is physical. And it also tells us that there's a great deal of continuity So we're gonna look similar to ourselves, just a perfect version of ourselves. There's still a sense of recognizability. So Jesus was unrecognizable to his disciples for a moment, but then they recognized him. And I believe the, uh, the reason that Jesus was so unrecognizable on the road to Emmaus, I think that was a supernatural veiling of himself. Um, that he did on purpose. It wasn't just because he was so different in his resurrection because later he shows up and they're like, hey, it's Jesus. You know, um, so there is going to be a great deal of continuity. So I believe we, we will we'll recognize one another in, in heaven. Um, we see examples of Jesus saying that we'll, we'll gather around and we'll eat with, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is assuming that they would be recognizable um, individuals. And so I think sometimes when we, we think about uh, glorified bodies, it's like we get a new body, like a brand new one, kind of like the, the the suit that uh, Iron Man puts on. You know, you kind of become, you step into this new body in the resurrection. But but it's more that we are being changed, right? The seed, the the matter in a seed remains in the plant, and so the the, the seed isn't done away with, and you get this new thing. It's like no, the seed takes in material from the ground around it and is included up into this new plant. And so there's gonna be um, an aspect of us that continues on into our glorified bodies. Jesus says in, in um, Philippians uh, 3.21, he says that Jesus will change our lowly bodies. So he's changing our lowly bodies to be like his body. So it's the body that we presently have will be changed, not discarded for a new one. Also right here in the same context in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, it says in a, in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and perishable and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. So there is this continuity, but something newer and, and better and perfected um, is, is coming so the question, and the reason why many evangelicals are really wishy-washy on this topic um, in our modern age, uh, and not just in our modern age, people, we see in the New Testament that the, the Sadducees um, didn't believe in a resurrection. Um, but in the modern age, while we see a lot of even evangelicals kind of backtracking on this um, issue is because we know what happens when we die to the material in our bodies. You know, I just talked about a compost pile. If if you were to put, if I were to die right now and you put me in a compost pile, in about I don't know a year, I would be fertilizer for your garden. Um, and so that whole problem of don't we just decompose? Don't we rot into the ground? And 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 if you leave it there long enough, it gets integrated into the soil and becomes another body. Like how in the world will we be resurrected in our bodies um, from that? And so we have this this problem, intellectual problem that we see, and we have people backing back from this doctrine. But think about it just for a second. Don't you think God can keep track? Don't you think God can keep track of it? I mean, he created everything from nothing. He, He rules the speck of dust that just flew past the lights here. He determines where that speck of dust will fall. I think he can keep track of what he created in order to reassemble what is necessary to be the seed for our resurrection body. I think you can keep track. And furthermore, our inability to understand or explain something should never be the reason for rejecting it if it is clearly taught in Scripture. So what's your authority? Is it your intellect? Is, your, is it your ability to process information? Or is it the Word of God? God's revelation? What is your authority? Just because you can't understand something or explain it, but it's clearly taught in scripture, doesn't mean you should reject it. It means we should embrace it and say, I don't know, he's God. And that's amazing. Wow. And worship. So we have a great hope of renewed bodies. And this is this is something that um, I think in our tradition as, as Protestant Southern Baptist, um, really focusing evangelicals, focusing on the conversion of sinners, having a conversion experience, being saved from the wrath of God, the gospel, justification, really focusing on these things has sometimes led us to neglect that this final step, this final hope. And when you read the scriptures, the, the, the big hope is not just that we're justified, but that we will be received, redeemed, and renewed bodies. That's, that's, the big, that's the big card on the table that everyone is setting their hope on, not just our justification. And so it's helpful, I think, for us to look at this sometimes to have um, that corrected a little bit, to know that, that our justification is a means by which we are glorified. And so that's, that's the big jackpot at the end, receiving glorified bodies, being uh, renewed um, in a new Eden-like state, creation as it's supposed to be. And so we see this in, in Romans 8. So if you'll turn with me to Romans 8, it's on page 944, Romans 8, uh, starting in verse 18. And this is the application. So we talk about this. It's like, okay, that's, what does that mean for me now? Like I'm really looking forward to that day where I don't have to deal with the pains and sufferings of this world. Um, but what does that do for me now? And this passage tells us. Romans 8, starting in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the application of the doctrine of glorification is we have hope. That the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us and in us. And we, the reason we have this hope is because the promise of God. God has promised that this would be so. And I mentioned this text a couple weeks ago when we talked about justification, but this is a little later down at the end of... Um, uh, Romans 8, verses 29 through 30, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You hear that? That was the point, to be conformed to the image of his son. And now we know that that's not just morally, but also uh, physically. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God's plan from eternity to had, was to have a big family, a big family with many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so I said this last time, but you notice glorifies in the past tense. And didn't I just say that this was a future thing? Um, we're not glorified right now, but he says, those whom he justified, he also glorified past tense. Because God's promises are so sure that we can speak of them as if they were already true. Like you are you will receive your glorified body as sure as you're sitting here right now, even surer than that, because it's based in the promises of God that he, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And catch this, no one falls out of that chain. No one falls out of that. It doesn't say those whom he justified who didn't fall away, he also glorified. Those whom he justified, if God one time said he's just, by that declaration, he's as good as glorified because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Not 75% of the way, and then you gotta make it the last 25. No, he will complete the work that he began. So we have a sure and steadfast hope, somewhere to cast our anchor. And so what this means is that we suffer well. We suffer well, we suffer as those who have hope that we don't waste our sufferings, that we leverage our sufferings to glorify God and to store up in us a, a, an appreciation for our glorified state that we wouldn't have without it. So a helpful illustration from Tim Keller as to why we have sufferings, why we, why God doesn't just save us and get us out of here um, to keep us from suffering. And, and he explains it this way. He said he had a dream that he lost his entire family. He had a dream that his wife and children were all uh, instantaneously killed. And it, he said it was the worst experience of his life. And he, he woke from that dream and finally realized that it was actually a dream. And the first thing he did was go into his children's room, weep kiss their heads, gets in bed with his wife and just snuggles up and he says he he appreciates them and he enjoys them and loves them more because of that dream, because he, in a sense, lost them. Because he lost them, he can now appreciate and love them and enjoy them even more. And he says that that it's in a similar way, the reason we suffer, the reason we lose our loved ones and the reason that we do these things is because when we get them back, We can enjoy them so much more. We can appreciate them so much more. So your sufferings are not in vain. Your sufferings are actually preparing for you and preparing in you a weight of glory that you can't even imagine at this moment. They're not in vain. They're intentionally intentionally ordained in your life for your maximum eternal joy. So suffer well and finally die well. John Wesley, when describing why the Methodist movement was catching on, um, he said it's because our people die well. Is that, is that our identity? Are we, or are we a people who dies well? This hope that we have helps us to die well. It helps us to, to not hold on to this world with white knuckles because we have something that's not even worth comparing on the other side. So we suffer well, we die well, and we enter into heaven. <laughs> heaven enters into us. Let me re- rephrase that because we don't, we don't be- become disembodied spirits in heaven forever. When Christ returns, we receive our bodies. He's dwelling with us. He's making all things new. He's making us new as well as the earth. So we're not entering into heaven eternally. Heaven is an intermediate state. Heaven, the new heavens and the new earth comes down at the return of Christ. And we receive our glorified bodies. The dead are raised to meet him in the air. And and we we come down in victory with our king forever. And what is our experience? The fullness of joy, Psalm 16. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. And here's what's amazing, that that fullness of joy is ever increasing. So how can something that is full be ever increasing? Uh, We we, we talked about this in our staff meeting Tuesday, and the illustration was this like a cup or a box or something that has stretchy sides and stretchy tops. It's like, it's always full, but when there's more added into it, it just continues to expand. And that is our experience of heaven. We're always fully and perfectly happy, always, never lacking, never desiring more happiness But in the presence of God, we are ever increasing in our ability and our capacities for joy. So that is heaven, eternity. Eternity and growing in our capacities, bodily and spiritually, to enjoy God more and more and more. So this is our hope, and uh, may this be encouraging, and may this cause us to press on, and may that cause us to look death in the face and say, you won't have the last word. And as we pray tonight and, and, and looking at the uh, the shooting, the church shooting in Texas, um, this doctrine helps us deal with that. It helps us deal with that. So um, that's all I've got tonight. So hopefully that's helpful for you. Like I said, if you want to read something that's um, really good and helpful in this, chapter 42 in Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology, um, these two passages um, that we read tonight, read them in their full context. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So I'm going to pray for us. And then... Um, make a few announcements and leaves on come up and share something with us and then uh, we'll come together and pray as a family. So let me pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that we have this full and perfect, amazing hope that I, I honestly, even after teaching this lesson, can't fathom. Like I can't explain and Lord, I, I pray that that I get a greater understanding of this in order to have a, a greater experience of this hope. And Lord, I, I know as your work and sanctification continues that that will be true. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering among us, um, that this, this hope, this glory that is before them uh, will be all that they need to persevere and not just persevere, but to, to persevere with joy and in a way um, that is beautiful, in a way that robs death of its glory uh, and that Christ uh, receives all glory in all things. Lord, I pray. Um, that that would be true of us. And we, it can be said that Perimeter Road um, is a people who suffers well and dies well all to the glory of Jesus. Um, this is a, a prayer. This is a task that we cannot do on our own. We need supernatural help. We need the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, minister to us through your spirit to produce this work that would glorify Christ for generations. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name, amen.